Welcome back to the listener's commentary on the book of Galatians. In this session, we will be looking at Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. But to set that up, we need to make sure we keep the whole context in mind so we can trace Paul's flow of thought. And so in this session, beginning in Galatians 1, 11, Paul begins an extended autobiographical section in the letter. And it goes all the way from here at 111 clear through chapter 2, 221. And he has three main sections within that, three main kind of snapshots from his life that are central to the purpose of the letter, to the issues in the, in the churches of Galatia that he's dealing with. And, and so he will kind of lay out these snapshots for us to help us understand really his ministry, his message, and the gospel. And oftentimes we think of this as a Paul defending his apostleship or Paul defending his ministry and message. And in some sense it is, but more fundamentally than that, it is a vigorous defense of the gospel, specifically the gospel that's preached by Paul. And so if you recall in our previous session, Paul had said to the Galatians that if somebody comes and preaches to you a gospel other than the one that we originally preached to you, let him be accursed. He goes so far as to say, if an angel from heaven comes and preaches a gospel to you other than that which we preached to you, let him be accursed. And that word accursed, as we said, is a very strong word. So Paul is interested not so much in defending himself as he is in defending the gospel that he preached. And so this autobiographical section is fundamentally that Paul engages in a defense of his message and his ministry for the sake of defending the gospel, and we need to hear it that way. Now, with that in mind, let's jump into the details of this section. Paul, in this particular snapshot from his life, is going to focus on his conversion, and so we're looking at the story of Paul's conversion. It's told in Acts chapter 9, and you can read it there if you want to. This is Paul's retelling of it for the purpose of this letter and the issues in the church in Galatia. And uh, Paul begins this section by saying, For I would have you know. So right off the bat, that little word for at the beginning of verse 11 lets us know that in some sense we're connected to the preceding context. For usually indicates like he's explaining something. And so verses 11 through 24, and in some sense, Paul views it as an explanation of what he said at the end of 1, 1 through 10, particularly how that, uh, that issue of, look, the gospel I preach is the true gospel, and don't let anyone else tell you anything else. In fact, uh, if someone comes and preaches to you a different gospel, let them be accursed, and those aren't the words of a man pleaser. That's really how that previous section ended. Paul's explaining what he means by that, and what he's going to show in this section is that the gospel that Paul preached is not from men, but it's from revelation. And so that's the whole theme of this section. So listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. And remember, he's defending the gospel. When he says it's not according to man, he means it's not uh, according to human you know, invention. It's not according to Paul's own mind. He didn't just make this up. It's not according to 
you know, the religious pluralism of his day and placating people. He's not a man pleaser, as he uh, insinuated at the end of that section we looked at in the previous session, verse 10. It's not according to man. Verse 12, he explains that further by saying, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. It's not according to man, because the source wasn't man. I didn't receive it from man, and that word receive is the sense of passed on by oral tradition, or was, nor was I taught it. So I didn't get it from people. I didn't get it from human beings, this gospel that I preached to you, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now let's just pause right there for a second, and we'll come and get what he means by I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, but let's be really clear about one of the, the key issues in his gospel that's at the heart of the Galatian letter, and that is the idea that Gentiles can come into the people of God as Gentiles. They don't have to be uh, get circumcised. They don't have to become Jews. They, they can receive a, a right relationship with God, justification, and they can enter into God's people as Gentiles, not as Jews. So when he says in verse 11 that the gospel that was preached by me, it's specifically that, that component of the gospel, that Gentiles are co-heirs and equals with Jews in Christ, that they come in as Gentiles and they are just as legitimate and just as equal um, as Jews are in Christ. That is at the heart of the issue. That may not be an issue that you've ever wrestled with or I've ever wrestled with, but in the early church, that was a major issue, and that's at the heart of this letter, as we talked about in the backstory to this letter. So the gospel that was preached by Paul is the gospel that said just that, that Gentiles don't have to become Jews in order to become saved, in order to be Christians, in order to be part of the people of God. And uh, Paul frequently uses uh, the gospel that was preached by me in context where he is dealing with that. It sort of became his distinctive, and he wanted to have to make sure people were clear that this gospel that I'm preaching about the freedom of Gentiles to come in as Gentiles, that's not my issue. That's not something I invented. That's not something I made up. I didn't get it from man. I wasn't taught it by people. I received it, as he says here in verse 12, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is hearkening back to his Damascus Road experience, again, as told in Acts chapter 9, where Paul is engaged in persecution of the church. He's on his way to Damascus to uh, hunt down, search out Christians, and arrest them, and bring them back to Jerusalem. He has actually official letters on, from the high priest giving him authority to do just that. That's what he's doing. And on the road to Damascus, engaged in that, that task, Jesus appears to Paul. And so when he says, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, probably the best understanding of that phrase, revelation of Jesus, isn't just that Jesus was the source of some revelation, but that Jesus was the content of that revelation. Paul actually met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that's what rocked his world. That's what completely reoriented his life and completely changed the mission of his life from persecuting 
Jesus and persecuting Christians to promoting Jesus and pastoring Christians. And so his life was completely changed and reoriented because he actually met Jesus on the Damascus Road. So I received it through a revelation of Jesus himself, not just a revelation from Jesus, but a revelation of Jesus himself where he talked to and met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And in that engagement with Jesus on the Damascus road, Jesus actually said to Paul, I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. And so right there in that moment where Paul met Jesus, Jesus specifically told him that um, he wants him to preach the message about Jesus to the Gentiles. And so it, he received an experience of Jesus. He met Jesus. All of a sudden, he realized Jesus is who the Christians say he is. Uh, Jesus is Lord and Messiah, risen from the dead, vindicated by God. And Jesus wants Gentiles to come into the family as the prophets had foretold. That's the gospel that Paul preached. That's the gospel that he's going to defend here in the book of Galatians. And so with that, he says, for I neither received it from man nor was taught it by men, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then beginning in verse 13, he now goes through his retelling of what happened on the Damascus road in general terms, but how his conversion led to this gospel that he preached. So let's read. He says, in verse 13, for you've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. He assumes that the uh, churches of Galatia have heard about his former life, maybe because he had told them when he first preached the gospel to them, maybe because the Judaizers uh, had told them and kind of put their own spin on it in their telling them about Paul and how uh, Paul really needed to make them uh, become Jews. We're not sure how they know, but Paul assumes they know about his former manner of life in Judaism. And he recalls that by saying, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. You can read about that in Acts 8 and Acts 9. Paul sort of became like chief persecutor in the early church as persecution arose after a few years of the church growing in and around Jerusalem, uh, Paul took it on himself in the wake of the, the stoning of Stephen to become like the chief persecutor of the church and tried to stamp out the gospel message and tried to destroy the church, as he says here. Um, and he says in verse 14, And I was advancing in Judaism by beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Uh, if you know Paul's story, you know what he's saying here is he was an up-and-comer among the Jewish elite in Jerusalem of his day. He was studying under the preeminent rabbi of the day, Gamaliel, who was like the, the, the standout rabbi. If you got to study with Gamaliel, you were special. You got to study with the best of the best. In fact, when Gamaliel himself died... The word went out through the surrounding countryside that the glory of the law has departed. He was revered that much. He was so highly sought after as a rabbi and a teacher. And that was Paul's teacher. That's who he was studying under. And he was um, connected to the Sanhedrin and to the Jewish elite in some way. He was, as he says here, advancing in Ju Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen. He, he was an up-and-comer because he was so zealous 
for his ancestral traditions. I think Paul's very intentional how he says that. Not so much for the Old Testament law, but for the specific traditions of that law, that he was he was more extremely zealous for that. It wasn't as if Paul was a loser among uh, the Jews of his day. It wasn't if Paul couldn't have made it in the synagogue. It, it wasn't as if Paul sort of just was, you know, kind of a cast-off, kind of bottom-tier Jew. Paul was an up-and-comer, coming to the top, going to be a standout rabbi. That's the that's who he was before he met Jesus. Uh, people would have looked at Paul as a young man, and they would have said, now there is a righteous man. Now there is a faithful Jew. Now there is a God-fearing Jew. Everyone would look at Paul as sort of like the poster boy of what they would have wanted their you know, young teenage son to have, to have been emulating. They wanted to emulate, imitate someone like Paul. Uh, verse 15, he goes on and says, But, contrast with that, but when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, and so this, this is Paul's way of hearkening to what happened on the Damascus Road. Um, in fact, verses 15 through 17 here in Galatians 1 is really one long sentence in Greek and gets a little jumbled because of that. But the basic idea is God set him apart and called him and was pleased as the main verb to reveal his son in him or to him. Um, when that happened, when God had set him apart, even from his mother's womb, which uh, that phrase in Jewish context kind of recalls some of the, the people like the prophets, Jeremiah, who was set apart from his mother's womb, right? It recalls people like Jeremiah or in Christian tradition, John the Baptist or these, these people like this. So um, this is Paul's way of really capturing the idea that uh, this wasn't his choice. This wasn't his design. This was God's choice. This was what God wanted. And God's the one who who graciously called him to this task. So when God, who set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me, notice, through his grace. This was God's gracious choice to make Paul this, this chief promoter, to make him apostle. And for Paul, his ministry was always viewed as a gift of grace. He didn't He didn't deserve this. He didn't earn it. There was no reason God should have done this for him. He was at being a chief persecutor of the church, and then God mercifully and graciously gifted him with the opportunity to promote Jesus. And that's how Paul viewed his ministry, and it really sets an important, I think, standard for us as far as how we view our opportunities to serve Jesus. In fact, the well-known passage in Timothy where Paul describes himself as the foremost of sinners. It's in this very context. I persecuted the church, and yet God graced me with the opportunity to preach the gospel. Me, the foremost of sinners. It's in this very context. Paul, when he looked at his life, was like, here I was persecuting the church, and God called me and said, I want you to preach my gospel. And for Paul, that was such overwhelming, amazing grace that he just couldn't, he couldn't ever get over that, even through all the suffering and hardship of the ministry that he experienced. And so God called him through his grace. He says, and God was pleased to reveal his son in me. And so God's, this was God's choice, God's good pleasure to reveal Jesus to him there on the Damascus Road so that 
I might preach him among the Gentiles. And as I mentioned uh, earlier, Jesus mentioned that specifically right there in his Damascus Road experience that he's going to suffer and he's going to preach him among the nations to the Gentiles. And Paul says here in verses 15 through 17, when that happened, I didn't immediately consult with flesh and blood. In other words, I didn't go immediately and talk to people. It wasn't like I went, oh man, I need to figure out what this is all about and go study this stuff. I didn't immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem who were apostles before me. God called them to be an apostle, and I didn't immediately return uh, to Jerusalem because he was in Damascus, right? So I didn't immediately turn around and say, man, I need to go back to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, Peter, James, and John, and some of these others. I didn't do that, but... I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. And then he says in verse 18, three years later, I finally went up to Jerusalem. And this is Paul's summarizing of what happens in Acts. When you read in Acts 9, Paul, Paul meets Jesus on the Damascus road. He then goes into Jerusalem. He's blinded. He, he fasts and prays for three days. God sends a man named Ananias to Paul who tells Paul the gospel, heals his blindness, baptizes Paul, Paul becomes a Christian, and you keep reading in Acts 9, and he immediately begins preaching Jesus in Damascus. Uh, And how could that happen? Well, uh, Paul, you know, he knew the Old Testament scriptures. He knew the teachings about the Messiah. He just couldn't see how Jesus fit. Well, in this moment, he obviously has had three days to pray and fast and review everything he knows about the scriptures, and I'm sure he's meditating on going back over the you know the prophets and the prophecies of the Messiah and the teachings about the Messiah, and he's reviewing all that, like, what did I miss? And now he, it's obvious Jesus is God's Messiah because he, he's alive and vindicated by God and raised from the dead, and so Paul has three days to pray through, meditate on, reflect on all that. And once he comes to faith in Jesus, it's not hard for him to go and show everything that he's just realized and how Jesus indeed is the Messiah. And that's what he's doing in Damascus. And so he didn't go to Jerusalem. He begins a preaching ministry right there in Damascus. And then it says he went away to Arabia and then returned once more to Damascus. And so we need to know a little bit of our geography just to understand what's going on. And we need to know how this fits in with what's told in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, because Arabia is not mentioned there. And so let's just do a little bit of harmonizing work, all right? So first off, geography. Where is Arabia? Well, Arabia, we often think of it as southeast of Damascus. Damascus is about 130 um, miles north of Jerusalem, roughly. Um, and we think of Arabia's southeast of that, and largely it was, but here's what you need to know is, in the first century, kind of the the northern uh, border of Arabia basically backed up against the eastern wall of Damascus, and so those, uh, uh, Arabia, you know, you walk out of the eastern gate of Damascus, and you're virtually in Arabia, you're almost to Arabia, right? It was right there. In fact, so so connected was Damascus to Arabia, and so close was Arabia to Damascus, that the Arabian king had a official representative with an office in Damascus because they were so connected and they were so close at hand. That's important for helping us understand how this fits in with Acts chapter 9. As I said, Arabia is not mentioned in Acts chapter 9, 
So where does this visit to Arabia fit? Well, if you read Acts 9 and you're looking at what happens, Paul's preaching in Damascus, um, and Luke says that he kept on increasing in strength, confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah, and so using the scriptures to prove that. Well, verse 23 of Acts 9 is, is Luke's general way of saying, all right, now let's fast forward. What he says in um, Acts 9.23 is, when many days had elapsed, when a long time had passed, it's during those many days that Paul went away to Arabia and then returned once more to Damascus. We know that because of uh, a little detail Paul throws in in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says that um, the plot on his life that ensues in Acts 9.24 um, and that leads to him being let down through a window in the wall in Damascus in a basket and then fleeing to Jerusalem. That's the plot that happens in Acts chapter 9. Well, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul throws in a little detail about um, that event that says it was actually motivated by the, the uh, ethnarch under Aretas the king. Let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians 11.32 says, Now in Damascus, the ethnarch under Aretas the king was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, and I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so escaped their hands. Well, who is Aretas the king? Aretas the king is king of the Arabians. And it's the ethnarch of the Arabians, the, the representative of the Arabians in Damascus, that's involved in this plot to capture Paul. And that plot is told in Acts chapter 9 that leads to this uh, window in the wall. And it's told in verses 24 and 25. So we know he had to be in Arabia before that plot took place. And so in 9.23 of Acts, when he says, when many days had elapsed, that's when Paul was in Arabia. So Paul goes to Arabia. He's preaching in Arabia, apparently stirring up some trouble in Arabia, returns to Damascus. Now the king of Arabia wants to, you know, do away with Paul, and the Jews in Damascus want to do away with him. So um, the ethnarch, the local Arabian representative, and the Jews have this plot on Paul's life. Paul flees from them and goes to Jerusalem. That's where Galatians chapter 1 verse 18 picks up. Paul, Paul flees from Damascus to Jerusalem, and he tells us in Galatians 1.18, it's been three years since he originally went to uh, Damascus. And in uh, ancient reckoning, three years could be a total of 36 months. It could be as few as, um, you know, like 14 or 15 months. Any part of a year was counted as a year. So, you know, you add in, say, November and December, and then you add in January through December, and then you add in another January, and you've got a total of 15 months. That's three years because it's parts of three different years, right? So part of, say, 2018, all of 2019, and part of 2020, well, that would be three years. So we don't know exactly how many months it was, but it was part of three years and Paul, that Paul had been away from um, Jerusalem when he returns. So in other words, it had been a significant amount of time where Paul had already been engaged in gospel ministry before he returned to Jerusalem and to the apostles there. So he writes in Galatians 1.18, Then, 
Three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas. Cephas is the Apostle Peter. Cephas is uh, his Aramaic name. And Paul usually refers to Peter by this, this, uh, the Aramaic name Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic for rock. Peter is Greek for rock. And we know Peter's original name was Simon. But uh, Cephas, or Peter, was a nickname that Jesus gave him, meaning rock. So Paul comes to Jerusalem. He wants to meet Peter, the apostle. And he says he stayed with him 15 days. So he was in Jerusalem for about two weeks, stayed with Cephas. He says, I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, who was a major player in the Jerusalem church. So James, the Lord's brother, is there. So Paul spent these two weeks with Peter and James, the Lord's brother, and didn't connect with any of the other apostles, presumably because they were out preaching. We're not really sure. Paul's point here is, man, my first visit to Jerusalem was short, 15 days, was virtually non-apostolic. I didn't have any connection with the apostles, really only Peter, and then James, the Lord's brother, and that's who I spent time with. And that presumably isn't what the Judaizers were telling um, the Galatians. They presumably were telling them, look, Paul, you know, he's subservient to them. He is under their authority and all that. And Paul's like, well, no, that's not even how it went down. I was commissioned by Jesus. I preached for uh, three years before I even met the apostles. And when I first came to Jerusalem, I didn't even meet hardly any of the apostles. I only met Peter and then James, the Lord's brother, and stayed there only two weeks. And so he says in verse 20, he wants to assure the Galatians. He's telling the truth. So he says, now, what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God, I'm not lying. This is the way it played out. This is what happened. So regardless of what you've heard, regardless of what spin has been put on the story, this is my story. All right? This is the way it played out. This is what happened to me. Um, and then after only being in Jerusalem for two weeks, I went away, he says in verse 21, I went away into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, up north. Syria is the uh, Roman province just north of Israel, um, and Cilicia is uh, the, the province just kind of around the bend from the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean. So if you look at a map, um, the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea uh, the land right there is would have been Syria, and the land to the north of that corner would have been Cilicia. Um, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Where he went was back home. The main city uh, of Cilicia was Tarsus, and that's the city Paul grew up in. And so he went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. He went back to his hometown and the towns around that, perhaps, did a little traveling while he was there, uh, and did some preaching there. Um Verse 22 says, I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea. Judea is the, uh, the province around Jerusalem. And so I was still unknown by, uh, by sight to the churches of Jerusalem and the surrounding towns around Jerusalem, which were in Christ. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. I had virtually no connection with them. I didn't get my gospel from them. I wasn't taught it by them. I'm not under their authority. I was commissioned by Jesus. My only connection in the first number of years of my Christian life with Jerusalem was with Josephus and James. And we know from Acts, also Barnabas was the one that made the introduction because they were all kind of suspicious and skeptical. So I had some connection with some people in the Jerusalem church, and that's about it. Um, and, and so I didn't get my gospel from men. That's the whole point he's making here. And so um, 
verse 23 says, Only they, the churches of Judea, kept hearing, He who once tried to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he once tried to destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. And so Paul's uh, initial connection with the Jerusalem church was very limited, and yet their reaction was praising God because Paul was preaching the gospel now that he once tried to destroy. So that's the first snapshot in Paul's autobiographical section where he's defending his message in ministry for the sake of defending the gospel. Let me just offer just a couple words by way of kind of application and theological reflection on this. There certainly here is no, uh, there's no imperatives, right? We're told Paul's story, his testimony. We're told a specific version of his story for the purposes of the issues in Galatia. And so there's not like there's any call to action for us in this section. And we need to recognize that as we handle the text wisely, how do you handle narrative texts like this that don't have any imperatives, any commands, any direct calls to action to us? Well, you do that, I think, by looking at sort of the purpose of the text and the theological substructure of the text. What is the purpose of this text? Well, the purpose of this text is for Paul to say, the gospel I preached is the gospel Jesus wanted me to preach. It is the true gospel and the trustworthy gospel. That is the whole purpose of this section. And so it reminds us um, that when we study Paul's letters, when we listen to Paul preach, we're not just hearing a, a word from man. We're not just hearing Paul's religious ideas. We are hearing the message about Jesus that, that Paul was given from Jesus himself and from God himself. This is God's design. And so we can, we can trust Paul's message because of Paul's conversion and Paul's commissioning by Jesus. That's his point here, is that he is not just giving us his own human reflections or his own oral tradition. He actually met Jesus on the Damascus Road. It changed his life, and he's delivering the message Jesus wanted him to preach, and thus Paul's gospel is trustworthy. The other reflection I would offer out of this section from Paul telling his story is more a reflection on what Paul does and why he does it. There's plenty of times where Paul is under attack in his ministry. There are places, even in his letters, where he doesn't defend himself. For example, Philippians chapter 1. Paul, Paul says people are preaching the gospel. They're, they're doing it from false motives, and they're doing it, hopefully, to make life more miserable from Paul, Paul says in Philippians 1. And Paul doesn't attack them or defend himself or anything. Why? Because the people are preaching the true gospel. But in Galatians, they're preaching a false gospel, and thus Paul's going to engage in a vigorous defense of himself, his ministry, and his message for the sake of defending the gospel. And thus, it really sets, I think, a principle for us that we need to remember. There, there are times where we don't need to defend ourselves, even if people are attacking us, because it's not going to cause any problem for the gospel. Paul's greatest concern is the well-being of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. And so he will refrain from defending himself if it's not going to hinder the gospel, if it's not going to slander the gospel. He will defend himself if in not doing so, it's going to hinder the work of the gospel or it's in some way going to bring a negative light on 
on or any slander to the gospel. So his choice to defend himself or not defend himself is motivated by what's best for the gospel. And that is a really important principle for us, whether we're in ministry or not. If we're engaged in volunteer ministry or paid ministry, we need to primarily think of our life as caught up with the gospel. And we don't always need to defend ourselves. We can let God defend us. But if in not defending ourselves, some hindrance is going to come to the gospel, some shame or slander is going to come to the gospel, then we need to defend ourselves in such a way that we're actually defending the gospel because we care more about the gospel than we care about ourselves. And that's ultimately what Paul is doing here in this telling of his conversion story and this snapshot from his life here in Galatians 1, 11 through 24.